Welcome back. This is Maribel Quesada, and you're listening to Diferente. This is episode 136, part two of my conversation in the entrepreneurship series with Salone Monet. Salone shared some of her story in the first part of this episode about how she became an entrepreneur and how she came up with the idea to create this amazing new shoe collection or shoe line for women of all colors. So these are nude heels that are made for all kinds of melanin skin, not just one or two shades of nude as I think we have all experienced out there in the fashion world. So she's definitely disturbing the fashion industry a little bit with her line. And in the second part of my conversation with Salone, she shares with me what she has learned as an entrepreneur. And we also talk about what's going on behind the scenes, which I think we don't get to hear about from a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, most of us are constantly trying to just put on a brave face and just handle our business. But in this episode, Salone and I got the opportunity to discuss what it's like to be a mother and an entrepreneur. Even her son Henry made a short little appearance during our conversation, so you might hear him in the background. But this just goes to show how women everywhere go through many things that we don't always hear about. And I so appreciate the fact that she was able to let us into her life a little bit to understand that part of her life and that part of her story, which is so important. Let's continue. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. So that's been, those are some of the roadblocks over there. What about as far as the industry in the U.S.? Have you faced any kind of issues as a new shoe business in the U.S. market? You know, as far as just like the market now, I think that there is opportunity for everyone, especially given that I do believe that the future is going to be more like specialized type of wear um, and specialized type of clothing. I think that people are really going to want those like more unique brands. Um, I mean, and then you think about like more the recent events that have taken place with these like larger fashion houses, you know, people are starting to tire (laughs) of just, you know, going and getting the the brands that aren't appealing to them from, you know, an ethical standpoint. So, you know, I think that that's also a big um, difference between me and other brands is that, you know, I'm thoughtfully crafting these shoes. I'm thinking about like the people who make the shoes and um, also the people who wear the shoes. So I think that that's going to be something that I hope people appreciate that they, you know, can think of, you know, oh, this is a black woman owned company. And so there's going to be a certain, you know, ethical difference to what's going on here and behind and on the corporate side of things and on the design side of things and in the the maker side of things, which is the case for for me. Are you the first brand to um, have this specific product for women of color in the in the shoe business? Or No, I'm not. And actually, I had started working on the business plan. And then very soon after Christian Louboutin came out with a series of um, nudes. But you know, of course, Christian Louboutin is always going to be you know, one of the very sought after shoes and they're, those shoes are gorgeous. But like I say, I, I think that people really, when you, you think of like an inclusive brand, you know, it's difficult to couple that with 
up, you know, with companies that are large, you know, it's difficult for them to be really um, receptive to change and to be receptive to, you know, new perspectives. Well, it's not the same at all, because I, I would not compare the two. I think it's like apples to oranges. I mean, your shoes are at a different price point. They're made differently. And also, I don't think that they have the same emphasis that you have. Right. Um, or the same focus. I mean, they're like you said, they're a really big brand. So they have to appease many different types of views and points and types of people. You are specifically geared towards a set of consumers that are looking for that type of value in a shoe line. And it's cool that it's not just about price, that you can talk about your brand being more than just like, don't focus on just buying a pair of shoes that, is, that are cheap, you know, just so you can use them for a year and then throw them away, but focus on a pair of shoes that you can wear for years. Right. That I think is so valuable. I know that you actually took classes on how to make shoes. Right. When did that happen? And, and what led you to do that? So what led me to do that was actually just being really exhausted with the type of samples I was getting from the factories. They were, you know, I thought that there was there was definitely a breakdown in the communication as far as like what I was presenting and what I was um, the samples I was getting in return. So some of the factors would be like, oh, you're too picky. We're not going to make you any more samples because, you know, again, your your minimum order quantity is much or their minimum order quantity was too large and you're a small company. And then the other thing would just be like, I just don't think that they were listening. But then I also was thinking like, well, maybe I'm just really not presenting myself the way that these other brands are doing it. So uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. And so so, you know, to take a step back, I took a class and like how to develop a tech pack. Like what do factories expect when they're going to be developing a sample? So okay. I kind of just like, you know, went back to square one and, you know, learned how to do that and took a class like how do you sketch and then how do you physically make a shoe so that when they're in the factory and they're talking to me about what's going on or the part that they need, I understand what's happening. And then also if I see something wrong, I can then relay that to them. So, you know, I'm definitely I'm not a, you know, a cobbler or a shoemaker, but but I have made shoes and I think that that definitely has made a difference and what has allowed me to have a successful relationship with my uh, factory. That's huge. I'm a true believer in that you should not go into business if you don't think you could love doing what the business is going to be doing right. <laughs> or offering what the business is going to be offering yourself. Like you like don't open a coffee shop if you don't ever want to serve coffee. Yeah. <laughs> don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, I think that, that that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make. Like don't, start a business where you would not enjoy actually doing the day-to-day -day activities of the business because you're going to hate your life. Yeah. Because at right. some point you're going to have to do it unless you have a ton of money and you don't <laughs> have to get your hands dirty. Right. But a lot of times that's not the case. Right. So let's transition a little bit. I want to talk about how you build the brand in general. Like what was the thought process on the name? How did you come up with the vision and the mission of the company? So that was something that, you know, happened over that the growing pains of just trying to get to market. What I had initially envisioned is, you know, not not what's currently the landscape of my company. Um, initially, I thought that I was going to be launching at a different price point. Initially, that there was a totally different brand um, name. So it's just been like, you just kind of have to, you know, 
as things come at you, you have to be willing to adapt. And that's really what's happened. Uh, initially, the name of the company was Pedestals. And um, because and I had trademarked it, but because it took me so long to be able to get to market with a working prototype, I ended up losing the trademarking to it. And um, it was somebody else when during the time that I had um, neglected to upkeep the, the trademarking rights, someone else came and started using it. So I had to change I had to change the name of the company. And I mean, like that was another thing that took forever to try to brainstorm. And and um, though the name was right in front of me, it was on my birth certificate. <laughs> and so I just, you know, I went with that. But it also made sense too, from just a branding standpoint, you know, it's one thing if I was going to be making shoes at a lower price point. But when you enter into this, you know, luxury market with really, you know, high quality handcrafted shoes, you know, I'm thankful for every single person who purchases a shoe. And if I, you know, they have to, you know, if you are going to write, you know, if you're going to pay money for this product, you have to have a you have to believe in the brand and you have to believe in the person. So I just, I think that just out of respect for the people who are fans of the brand now, it made sense for me to put my name on it. Cause it's like, if they're going to take the risk to believe in a young brand, I should be able to take the risk to be like, Hey, yes, it's me. Like, this is my name. I put your name on it. Right. I literally put my name on it. So I I, like, I is something I had to come to terms with, but it ultimately like, it really did make sense. Okay. So I have like a devil's advocate question (laughs) because this is, something I've always wondered. I'm a big fan of shoes. So I'm always curious. Do you think that quality equates price point? Not always. I think it depends on the brand. Um, You can pay a lot of money for a shoe that's just so-so. And then there are shoes that are, you know, that maybe have a great price point and, you know, they're, they last you a long, long time. Like there was, I think just recently, who was the player who ha- was wearing a pair of Nikes and like literally the shoe cut in half while they were playing. Like it's, that happened, I forgot who it was, but it happened like um, last week or so. And so it's like, you really just don't know. And then also it could just be like, maybe there was just an issue with um, that particular shoe. You just never know. Is your focus more on quality or on building a luxury brand? Uh, I definitely think that they're one and the same. Like in order to build a luxury brand, you definitely have to be consistently offering a very high quality product. Okay. And that's that's what I always assume. But then, you know, I like I said, in reading more about fashion and the industry as a whole, because I've been more concerned myself about making sure that I purchase products that are going to last me a long time. And so in reading about it, I found that you cannot just equate quality with price point. You really no. have to do your research. Absolutely. When it comes to brands. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, especially, you know, as brands start to scale, they want to, you know, do things as efficiently as possible. So, you know, you have to be able to look out for that. But for me and a brand that's for myself, you know, as starting out at the end of the day, if people don't believe in the product, you know, my brand is going to no longer exist. So I like it's it's definitely the cornerstone of having um, a new brand. So now that you have launched and are deep in the thick of it, what are you doing to get help? Or are you able to trust others to execute your vision? <laughs> uh, yes. You you know, you definitely you just have to be very you have to cover all your bases. So regardless if you're trusting someone or not to do something, you still have to make sure that it's the what makes sense for the brand. So, you know, I've definitely made, you know, errors along the way. But, you know, when I'm starting out, like I've had someone tell me that, you know, I don't I don't believe in your brand and I don't 
I don't believe that you'll be able to because kind of like as a startup, like the key thing is like basically finding people who are able to help you and mentor you and give you assistance because they believe in you as a person or they believe in the idea. And it's usually the former they believe in you as a person. So that's like very key to being able to like grow. So like I've had people say like, I don't think that you're going to be able to find people to help you. But I do. And like, I find like, I, I have a friend who's a photographer. And he's like, hey, if you are ever here, I will shoot your product for free. And so it's like that kind of thing where you really do need a, um, you have to find people that to assist you. So, you know, again, you're definitely monitoring things as you go along, but you, ha- you really do have to accept the assistance because no man is an island and for sure no business is an island. <laughs> as you're growing, you're gonna have to be able to trust more and more to be able right. to delegate. And I think for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, they get so attached to their brand that they are sometimes afraid to let go of some right. of that because they don't yeah. want other people to mess up their vision, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which can is easily happen. But is that something that you've encountered yet? Like, have you started to look for ways to delegate? Oh, I absolutely have. And it was actually one of the main reasons why I was on the fence. Oh, no, my son's waking up. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you about being a mom as an entrepreneur. <laughs> this is all a part of that. <laughs> What's it like uh, being a mom as an entrepreneur? I mean, is it true that you can really have it all now that you're living? It? <laughs> um Oh, wow. That's a a big question. It's just, I think that, you know, the base of a question is like, what is having it all? So that's going to be totally different for different people. Um, I love being a mom. And it's interesting because it wasn't something that I had like 100% added to like my life course. I just was like, oh, if it happens, if it's, you know, I meet the right person, it'll, that'll be the case. But I never was like, oh, these are going to be my kids' names. And this is how many I'm going to have. And I want my girls to look like this. So it's just like, you know, I never like really I hadn't sought that out for myself and then after like I had my son it was like oh my goodness this is incredible I want to for sure have more kids and um yeah so just kind of like for me you know it's just it's I I love what I do and I love being a mom so you want to watch tv yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he can join us in the interview (laughs) right you know it's it's I think the other key part for me, and of course every person is different, um, I have an incredibly supportive partner who also is in like a creative field. So he um, like understands like what it, how to be supportive and um, he believes in me he wants to watch my goals. <laughs> it's, it's definitely like difficult to like split your attention. So like for me, you know, having like every morning Henry goes to preschool, it's like really focusing on that time that I have. It's difficult. And I think that you really just have to like, you know, I wholly focus on one thing or I'm pretty much just engaged with my son. Like it's like, I guess technically I'm multitasking at this very moment, but (laughs) it's, um, (laughs) it's usually one thing or the other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then I guess back to the original question, do you feel like you can have it all? as far as be an entrepreneur and be a good mom? Oh, absolutely. It's definitely having like I have my boyfriend, Roy, who is like, like totally 100% supportive and like dedicated to the cause of being a dad of being a partner and being um, an asset to my company. So it's like, I know that without him, I would not be able to do what I do. As far as like, you know, I can't, it's, I really try not to speak for, you know, other parents, which is also something I've learned. It's just like to, 
you know, each their own, like, you know, you know, like the type of time you need to spend with your kid and you know, like the type of enrichment that you want to provide for your child and you can do those things. Like for us, like, I feel like, you know, our kind of parenting styles are pretty relaxed and we're very good at like, you know, really speaking to him and just having like full discussions, like way before even he became verbal, we were, you know, talking and in a non like baby language and uh, just normal conversations you know if he was holding a train Roy used to just like talk about trains like he was talking to an adult but he'd be talking about a subject matter that was really helpful for Henry so some of Henry's first you know like full sentences and words were about trains and I just say that to say that like he you know because we feel like okay we can really enrich him you know at this time and we really put the time in that now like if I need to write emails I'm okay putting him in front of a tablet for 30 minutes because I feel like it's about balance so that's kind of like that's our whole um, like parenting style is you know really try to engage him you know really enrich his mind you know we try to bring in different languages into our apartment so it's you know it's just definitely about balance yeah and I think you as a parent, well, I'm not a parent <laughs> yet, but as a parent, I almost feel like you would have to let go of the guilt of like whatever societal pressures there are right. about being a quote, good parent. Have you had to let go of any kind of expectations that you had maybe for yourself or from society as a mom? Oh, what works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things that I do to not feel bad is so if he's watching a tablet, I'm like, okay, well, maybe if he watches the cartoon, like Netflix offers different languages, it's like, I'll have him watch this cartoon in like Spanish, or I'll have him watch it in Mandarin. <laughs> so he's like learning a language. He's not just zoning out. So yeah. <laughs> that's like kind of one of our, um, our, our tricks <laughs> to like feeling better about ourselves <laughs> as parents. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> No, but you got to do what you got to do. And ultimately, if I, I had this thought the other day, like, if we're just raising kids to be like us, exactly like us, then what's the point of raising kids with like the opportunities to do big things? If right. we're really just telling them, okay, you can do this, but, yeah, we're just you know, them if you want to be... Exactly. If you want to be a mom, you're going to have to be home with your kids all the time and not do anything else. It's like, well, then why are you even bothering giving your kids all the tools to be open to new ideas and new perspectives? If they're not going to do it, they're just going to end up doing the same thing you did. Because that's the example that we're setting for them. Yeah. Right? Like as a a woman, I feel like more like as a woman, like you can do whatever you want in life, except this. (laughs) Yeah. Except being a working mom, that's not okay. except being a good <laughs> except being a good mom and working, right? Like it's like we just associate that you have to be home all the time to be good. Yeah, so like my mom was like a stay at home mom and totally poured herself into like raising um, my brother and I. But even still, she wasn't like one to be you know to teach. Like she like having like family that came through from the South, um, there definitely are those like traditional roles, like where, you know, women stay in the house and do all the cooking and the cleaning and rearing of children. And then men bring home the paycheck and deliver it to their spouse. And, but so she still, even though that that was, you know, what she had kind of grown up in, she did not pass that down. So she like decided that that was right for her and her house. Like, okay, I'm going to be a stay at home mom and I'm going to pour myself into my kid, but I'm not going to, suggest this for my daughter so like you know where for her growing up she had like they had to cook they had to do like there was no not knowing how to you know cook 
And for me, you know, like I did it because I wanted to. Like if I wanted to assist my mom in the kitchen, that was totally fine. But if I also wanted to like paint, I could paint. If I wanted to, you know, like play an instrument, I could play an instrument. And if I wanted to, you know, like go outside and climb a tree, you know, I could go do that. So there wasn't like she didn't paint these like color by number, you know, positions for women or men or black or white. It was, you know, just as what, you know, what kids should feel they can, whatever they want to do, really, from the day-to-day yeah. basis. <laughs> yeah, she gave you the freedom. Wait, hold up. Before we go any further, I have something very important to ask you. Will you share this podcast with your friends? It's very easy to share the love by either texting a direct link to this episode or posting a screenshot and link to the show on your preferred social media platform. Make sure you tell them why you want them to listen. Thanks for your support. Now back to the show. So back to business real quick, because I want to make sure that we end up on an entrepreneurial note. What is the most valuable lesson that you've learned that you could share with others who are looking to start a business? There's so many. I don't know about just the one. The like the one thing I think is definitely like reach out to people and try to find people who are doing something similar to what you're doing and really you know, try to learn as much from people who are doing it. If you can't do that, you know, surround yourself with people who are also, you know, interested in being successful. There's going to be like a lot of times where you feel like doubtful about your ideas and allowing, you know, understanding that you're allowed to like make mistakes and you're allowed to fail, but not letting that stop you. And, you know, really just like continuing on because there's just, there's just so many examples in business. And that's what I've been learning. And just in life where people who, you know, it took them a very long time to find like the right stride and to write and find like the right wave to ride so you know definitely you know allowing yourself to fail allowing yourself to get back up and try at something again or trying something new i'm not thinking that past failures have anything to do with where you can go as far as who you are as a person or how as far as your business yeah that's a very good point i think that a lot of times we let ourselves be held back by what we perceive as failures but they're really just lessons right so i'm glad that you brought that up And this is coming from a person that like, this is coming from me, like not even like, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, I'm extremely successful, but that's just like what helps me on like a day to day basis is just to like, remind yourself like what you love about your business and why, you know, why you're on the path that you're on. And then like what you were saying about learning from every lesson, like, what can I learn from this thing that didn't work out today? And that's just like every day. There's one question that I forgot to ask you that I think it's really important. Um, I think it's really important to understand that there has to be some kind of organization that comes along with being an entrepreneur, especially when you're doing it on your own at the beginning. How do you organize your days to be more effective? Every single day that I have is different from the day before. I don't like I'm not I don't have like a very predictive schedule. And I definitely don't have like predictive days. And then of course, with like, you know, with Roy, who my partner, he his schedule is the exact same way. So um, I know that there are a lot of people who are like, you know, keep a very clear schedule. Um, but for me, like, especially being a mom, I can't necessarily do what that. keeps you focused or what helps you stay on track then reminding myself that what like whatever your personal goals are for yourself or your brand or your family just like keeping that like as your beacon all right so two more questions for you before we wrap up because i know you want to get back to being a mom <laughs> number one what is your passion and number two how do you define success so i mean i have a few things that are my passion one is 
100% my family. That is, I mean, that is everything to me at this moment. Um, I don't, I only see that growing and becoming larger. Um, and the other thing is, you know, making a stable place for, you know, my son in this world um, from like a financial standpoint. So it's like, I want him to, you know, feel that he can, you know, become himself without having to be concerned about, you know, like, how am I gonna pay for college? Like, that's like a big thing that, you know, we discuss a lot as far as like, how can we we want him to not have to be concerned about taking on huge amounts of student loans to pursue something that is his passion. So I definitely think that's one. And, you know, the other, of course, is just being able to design a brand that I love, and I hope that other people love. How do you define success? I think that success is if you can enjoy what you do and, you know, provide for your basic needs. So if it's like, if you can do something that you love to do and it's allowing you to like have a place, you know, in this world, like there's just certain things that we need as humans and you can do that, then, you know, you are a successful individual. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to Diferente. Don't forget that this episode belongs to a series of episodes that I'm doing on entrepreneurship. So this is the fifth conversation we've had. Make sure you go back and listen starting in episode 132. And also we have one more coming up next week. So tune in for next week's episode. All of these episodes have a part one and a part two. Yes, there was much to discuss during these conversations and I hope you get as much out of them as I have as well. In this conversation with Salone, I think the biggest lesson and the biggest takeaway for myself is that you can have it all as a woman or as an entrepreneur. However, you have to learn to pick your battles on what that means to you. And what that means is, I guess, don't put all of the expectations on society on your shoulders. Don't always think that you have to be the perfect mother or the perfect entrepreneur or the perfect partner. You have to find what works for you, what works for your family, what works for your business, not what society says should work, but what actually works for you and your people. I think that's how you truly find success, not only as an entrepreneur, but as a person in general. So that was my biggest takeaway from this conversation. By the way, let me know if you've enjoyed this series. Send me a direct message on either Instagram or Facebook at Diferente Podcast and send me your thoughts. Give me some feedback. Also, if you have any idea on topics that we should cover, please let me know as well, because I want to hear what you have to say. As always, I am Maribel Quesada-Smith. Thank Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at A Diferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.